The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Bosses and welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Master Chief and Cortana of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and a member of the Bake Us Better team over on Patreon. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy still willing to hang out with me, even though I'm well past my expiration date. Josh, how are you doing this evening? I am. Well, I have a, a, an interesting story. I'm hot. <laughs> okay, uh, and confident. I like it. Yeah, not not in the not in the sexy way. <laughs> so, so why are you warm this evening? So it's extremely hot in New England right now. We did we had a heat advisory warning today with a heat index of 101 to 105 uh, to be hotter tomorrow um however that being said today was the day they picked to spray for west nile in my neighborhood because we've had west nile um breakouts we've had three cases in the city so far um so they've been doing neighborhoods as it's popped up so this unfortunate timing also meant they they spray between dusk and midnight mm-hmm. but because I would, would no one would be home after I left for work all the windows in the house have been shut since noon oh all day and we still haven't they still haven't sprayed the area so all the windows are still shut in the house and it's still a solid 85 degrees outside at 10:26 p.m. Which means it's about probably 110 in the house right now. <laughs> so here's here's where I'm going to get super naive about my knowledge of New England. Do you guys not have like air conditioning? Is that not a thing? Well, we have we do have air conditioning. There's one AC unit in the house. It's in the baby's room. We don't uh, have cent- we don't have central air, which I know a lot of people have. We gotcha. have like an air conditioner. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so that's always fun. And you know, the houses are so old. If I tried to run two ACs, they're probably below the whole house. So <laughs> I have okay. I have lived in places like that, so that I can totally <laughs> relate to for sure. Absolutely. Well, oddly enough, I mean, we're not a weather podcast, but it actually hasn't been that warm here. But it has been un. It has been so ridiculously humid. Yeah. Like yeah, for sure. Crazy ridiculous humid and. We haven't been that warm, like we've been in the low 80s for every for the last couple of weeks, but it's been really humid and it has been raining like every day. So my oh, lawn really? is out of control <laughs> because like it'll get sunny for like a day, but it's been so wet, like nothing dries out. So I can't mow my lawn because it's still soaking wet. And then it rains again the next day and is humid and just so my lawn is ridiculous right now. But thankfully, everyone's is. So I don't feel that horrible of a neighbor. But man, yeah, it's been humid and rainy and warm and just kind of feels like i mean i know the jungle would be warmer than what we are but it just definitely feels like living in a a different climate that i'm used to right now so it is really bizarre we also broke the record for all-time humidity for massachusetts oh wow the most days above 70 percent 
um, in all of all time in, in rec recorded humidity temperatures in Massachusetts. So I, I know humidity is killing everybody. Right. So, I mean, it's, you know, it can't be global warming. So I don't know what it is, Kyle. <laughs> I don't know what else it could be either. <laughs> oh, man. All right. But hey, you know what? This isn't a weather podcast and that would be one i really would not be able to do very well so i'm glad that it's not <laughs> but this is a gaming podcast so thanks so much for joining us this week as always if you have any feedback questions suggested topics hit us up at board with vg on twitter or at board with vg over on instagram to see all the awesome pictures that josh posts over there you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash board with vg we'd love a five star rating over there if you want to drop it also, if you want to communicate in the long form and you're not really feeling the whole social media, send us an email, boardwithvg at gmail.com. And as always, use that hashtag boardwithvg on all the social medias so we can follow what you're playing, what you're talking about, and we can be involved and have an awesome conversation about it. And as always, if you're interested in helping make us better, check out Patreon at patreon.com slash better. And a big thank you to all the supporters over there. We really appreciate those of you who are chipping us a few bucks, helping to make the things that we do and the things that the greater PSVG and Make Us Better crew do. Uh, we really do appreciate it. One final housekeeping reminder. I do want to put another plug in there for the Metafall contest. If you listen to episode 46, you heard Josh and I talk about some of the big games coming out this fall and what we thought their Metacritic scores were going to be. And if you want to send us your scores, you can win a free video game, which seems pretty cool. So if you hit up um, psvg.blog or look at the, our, the pinned tweet on our Twitter account or listen to episode 46 for all the rules, you can win a free video game. Just a reminder, entries are due by the end of the day, September 7th. So enough of all this housekeeping stuff. Josh, what have you been playing on your tabletop, sir? Okay, well, one more thing for housekeeping before I get into that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Patreon, so... I haven't listened to last week's episode yet, but if I sound better, which I don't know if I do or not. Uh, you did. I thought you did. Okay, good. Um, uh, just to show that um, that Patreon money is going towards the podcast network, um, uh, myself and Kevin Austin were upgraded in microphones, which was a uh, pleasant surprise for me. I was not expecting it. Um, and I, I would say... If you are donating, if you are contributing, even I am. So technically, I helped get myself. <laughs> uh, uh, it is going to make literally make us better uh, in all aspects. So, yeah, thank you to all the Patreons, uh, specifically for me. And you'll see bigger, you'll see more people from PSVG getting upgrades, uh, whether it be headphones or microphones or, or whatever's needed to make our content better for you guys. Um, so that being said, on to board games. I think we're going to talk about the same game. I think Although we are. You apparently played Mega Lands, and I played Mega Land. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I write show notes, I'm in a hurry. In my mind, it's Mega Lands, but I know it's Mega Land. I also got really confused because when I looked it up on in my mind, this was two words. Because when you look at the cover of the box, the L looks kind of like it's a, a capital. capital. Like so, so when I was looking for it, I separate. I put a space in Board Game Geek, and then I couldn't find it. Which I've always thought was really interesting about Board Game Geek search function is you have to nail it exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you if you mess up like putting a space in Mega Land, it's not gonna find Mega Land, even though you spelled it correctly. If you do M E G A space L A N D, 
no game exists. There you go. So that's uh, when I realized I had made the mistake, but I had already done the show notes and I didn't want to fix it. <laughs> that's okay. Um, we did we did upgrade um, Villainous, which I encourage people to do if they want. Um, we went to Michael's and they have all their Halloween stuff out, so we grabbed a, uh, a metal cauldron and some gems. My, my wife said... You know, every Disney villain has a theme, and that theme is always like this neon fluorescent green uh, color that appears somewhere in the movie surrounding the villain, um, which she cited very many movies for me to prove that's true. Um, so she wanted to get that color, so we tried our best to duplicate that. So now we have some nice gems, a cauldron, uh, the broken token insert. I took some pictures of that. Uh, we played another game, which was fun and quicker than our previous games. And uh, yeah, and then we played. Well, we played Megaland first. Okay. Uh, I had the trick. I had the like tricker into playing villainous. I was like, let's just put the insert stuff in. Oh uh, well, we already have it out. We might as well play now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we played Megaland. Um, we had a question two weeks ago from Kevin Austin asking about it. Um, so I figured it would be time to cover it. And uh, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect going into it. From my, from, from Ryan Luckett, I've only played Above and Below and mm-hmm. only once. Um, so I'm familiar with the art style, but I didn't know if we were getting like the same like theming. Um, and it kind of is, uh, borrows the theming from Above and Below where you're literally going below the surface, um, but that's pretty much it from theming wise uh, that I believe from above and below besides the character cards, but that's just artistic, not theming, I don't think. Or mechan- uh, mechanic is what I want to say, the mechanic from. Uh, so if you looked at my post, I kind of compared it to like if Clank and Machikoro had a little baby of a board game. It borrows a lot from both of those games um, where you have these rows set up of starting um, buildings where you that you can buy and then you put out uh, seven random, well, depending on how you read the rules, you can do seven random buildings. They tell you, because they're valued from one to seven, mm-hmm. um, but they tell you like to start, you should put out um, places varying from one to five in cost for your first game. So that's what we did. So we had a couple, I think, twos and threes out there. But the, what I like about it is, the buildings, um, when you put those out, those are the cost of the buildings. Um, and there's like, for the threes, there's like five or six different buildings in the three cost level, which I like. It adds a lot of variety to the game. Um, and and the insert is great because there's room for every individual um, cost and building type. So you mm-hmm. can easily access them. Uh, but essentially what you're doing is you're picking a character, you're getting four life to start and you're entering um do they call it a level i think they call it, it is a level, level. yep because it's supposed to be like a video game level right okay so you're entering you're starting on level one we'll say or the or the main level and every, at the beginning of the game everyone takes their character they start on this level and you draw a treasure from the treasure pile and then you explore the first level of this dungeon i'll call it just for my own brain's sake. Uh, and then it will either be, uh, it's also a little bit like Boss Monster um, because you'll 
you'll encounter either a boss, a treasure chest, or an empty space. Um, and your goal is to get as much treasure as you can by by exploring deeper and deeper into this dungeon without or this cave without dying. And that's where the trick is. I don't know about you, but our first two attempts, we died both times immediately because we drew a monster with three uh, damage right after a monster with one damage. Uh, so I, I got a little frustrated right away. I, I was a little worried that this was going to be a common theme. Uh, but luckily, it didn't work out that way. Um, you also have a, uh, something you can do where you can buy extra hearts and you can buy buildings with your treasures. So to buy extra hearts, you trade in duplicate items. So two of one item, three of one item, four of one item, five of one item to add one heart. And you can do that once per pair or triplet or quadruplet. Uh, to buy buildings, you need to trade in unique items. So one fish, one carrot, and one gem can get you a three building. Uh, so when you first look at it, it, it's not like you're getting money to buy buildings. It's more like trading goods. And you can only store as much, as many treasure as you have with as many buildings as you have. So once you complete a dungeon, you decide all you have to do is say, I'm not going to go any further. Take your character off the board. You uh, essentially go to town. And you sit there and you wait for the other players to complete their turn, uh, whether they die or whether they go back to town. If you die, you lose all the gear you acquired in your adventure. And if you make it back to town, you do that. You take all your treasure back with you. You trade it in for buildings or hearts and you store what you have left, and then you discard what you can't carry. Um, within the Machikoro aspect of it is that when you are buying these buildings, they are either giving you um, immediate reward, which are coins, and the goal of the game is to get 20 coins to win, or they're giving you uh, either a nighttime phase reward, which happens after the buying phase, or they give you a reward when something happens to your opponents. Uh, for example, I had a building that anytime someone died um, exploring, I would get two coins, which was beneficial. Uh, they also have certain things that tell you you cannot stack, um, which immediately we were like, oh, great. So everything that doesn't say does not stack does stack. So then we started like buying up these buildings. And, and, and my wife beat me on her last turn. She got like 10 coins in the night phase. I thought I had her. I thought I was, was like a couple coins away from winning. She's like, okay, I won. I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't. You said you had 12 coins. She's like, I did. <laughs> now I have 20. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I want to play it again and with more people. Um, the art is, well, the art is a, uh, is a Ryan Lockett game. Like, it's good art. It's very cartoony. Um, I don't think that the video game theme really uh, puts itself on front page, so to speak, for the game. Like, I didn't really feel like that theming was motivating me to play or was strong enough for me to feel like I was playing like a video game themed board game, if that makes sense. Um, 
because like I kind of just immediately felt the clank aspect of the game. Um, except it's a lot easier to get out than it is in clank, because in clank you got to climb your way back up to the top. Um, but what did you think of uh, Mega Land? So like you, well, before I jump into it, did you just play it the one time? Yeah, we just played one game. How long did it take you? Oh, that's a good question. I would say 40 minutes, maybe. Okay. So overall, I think, yes, you were kind of hitting on a lot of the things of what this game is, right? It is Machi Koro, but instead of rolling dice, it's pushing luck, basically. Right. You don't get one dice, one dice roll, and then what happens? You are pushing luck to see basically how much stuff you can get. First off, I agree with you. I don't think the video game theme here really fits well for me. Because I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to assume that everything that's happening is happening in this video game. But for me, I feel like you go run the level, and then because of stuff you get in a video game, you get to buy buildings, and then you go to bed. Yeah, really like it just—it doesn't really connect well for me. That doesn't, for me, drastically change my opinion of the game. I'm just somebody who really enjoys theme a lot in a game, and maybe I just didn't read enough of the fine print to fully understand how all the different phases of this game connect to the video game theme. Right. But with that being said, overall, I do enjoy this game. I think it's pretty fun. I do think it's very light. I think that it does a good job of balancing the push your luck and then really giving you the information you need from a probability perspective to make the decisions. Are they always going to work out? Nope, because like you said, sometimes it's like one damage, three damage. Well, that was fast, and now I guess I'm done. Because <laughs> right? if you get a one damage, what is the chance you're going to be like, I'm done? If it's the first card, Hopefully for everyone, the chance of you stopping is zero because that should be what it is, right? right. You should keep going. But obviously, if you stop, then you look brilliant, <laughs> even <laughs> though it was the wrong decision. It is the wrong decision. Yes. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, the art in this game is spectacular. I do generally like the phases of the game. Again, like I know I said, I don't feel thematically like they fit well, but I like how it all fits together. I like the idea of trying to collect as much treasure as you can and pushing your luck to see, okay, what exactly am I going to get? I like the juxtaposition a little bit of wanting to have unique treasures to buy buildings, but then same treasures to increase your hearts. It really adds a, not a significant, but it adds a little bit of a thought process to, okay, I could either buy one building this time, you know, that costs three, or I could buy a building that costs two and get a heart for two because I have, you know, two that match. Otherwise, I'll just have this one leftover one that matched. So I think it does some good weight it's a good thing for you to kind of think about and mull over what decision you want to make there so i like that i think that overall the building powers are decently unique i think that it mixes things up there are some that are very powerful and you're right you can very easily go from 10 or 12 coins to 20 coins in one one night like it, it can happen very quickly so you really have to try to pay attention there's not a ton of interaction with other players there's a little bit and a few cards that will do that where like you'll gain benefit if they make a mistake or something but there's not a, not a ton of player interaction which makes it hard a little bit similar in some ways to machi koro when you see your opponent like really getting to the point where they can win easily yeah. and there's so like you have to get the exact right thing to happen for you to be able to do anything about it you know, in Machi Koro, it's like, oh, I have to get the right dice roll. So hopefully I get lucky. Or like in this game, it's like I have to have this run work exactly the way I, I want it to. Um, or maybe they make a mistake and they push something that they shouldn't have or, or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's a really quick game. The first game that we took probably took play. Uh, the first game we played. Wow. 
probably took 35 to 40 minutes. And then the second game we played 25. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, I, once you get the hang of it and once you start, not that we knew all of the building cards, because like you had mentioned, there is a group of building cards that is going to be different when you play it. You're not going to have the same combinations. Uh, not that we know all of those yet, but we definitely had a couple of duplicates and kind of knew how things were interacting and you're starting to get a feel for it. So overall, I really enjoyed the game. I think it is, like I said, pretty light. I think this is a good game, um, especially if you're potentially looking at gaming with younger folks a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think easily eight, I think, would be able to handle this not too bad. Um, and I think maybe even for for people who aren't really into the designer board game or the hobby board game market, this might be a good game to get them into that might help push them that direction. I think this might be and a pretty easy and straightforward gateway game, especially with how quick it is that once you learn what you're doing, it is very quick to teach. It is very quick to learn. Um, and you can get along it and get clipping along. They're pretty good. Uh, I only played it with two to five play or with two players. I know it's two to five. I would like to play it with more to see how the interaction works differently. Um, to see, you know, how much spice is added or, or what changes occur when you play it with more. I don't know it's going to be that different, but it definitely could be that in ways that I can't anticipate. Sure. Uh, I think production quality, though, is really good. I think the card, the art is great. The cards and all the components are good. That game tray in there is pretty great. Yeah, that's great. You know, like the definitely the production quality, especially for the price of this game, I think is very good. So overall, I, I feel like this is, I don't want to say a home run per se, but I feel like this game being a Target exclusive, like I feel like everything about it makes sense and fits. Like it makes sense why they Target wanted this game. It makes sense why it's on their shelves. And I think, you know, whether you are a hobby gamer looking to get something a little more entry level, or if you're a person who's never played a hobby style board game before and you pick this up at Target randomly, like you're still going to be able to understand it and do it. Right. So yeah, overall, I think it's pretty cool. I think there's some nice little unique twists in there, like the bunny card, being able to trade in carrots and stuff. I think that's a nice little unique thing. The jump mechanic that's in there, I think is a nice, another little trying to guess the probability of, can I jump over this damage that I'm going to be getting and how do I use that or not use that? So there's enough little flourishes, if you would, to definitely rise this above or push this above like a a standard fair game. Um, I don't think it's one that we're going to get to the table all that often, but I think it is one if we're looking to play something quick or if we're looking for a filler, or if we have some new people who maybe are looking for something a little lighter to end tonight, I could see us busting out and playing some more Mega Lands. So yeah, for sure. For for twenty five bucks, it's a no brainer. I think like it's definitely there's more value in the game um, than what you're paying for. I think absolutely, a hundred percent agree. Any other thoughts on Mega Land? No. Um, make sure you check. I mean, did you get the, the insert on the bottom of it? Did I get the insert on the bottom um, of it? Lift up the game tray. I'll have to go look now. <laughs> I th- yeah. Now I don't know. I'm you not the one. Know. I was like, I'm not the one who punt like got everything out. So I, I actually don't. I but um, I'll have to go look. Yeah. <laughs> so lift, lift up the underneath of the game tray. Okay, I I was the one learning all the rules and stuff while <laughs> while the wife was like punching things out and doing everything else with the game. I was yeah, learning. I, I was learning it. So I don't know. <laughs> um, awesome. Did you play any other board games or was it just other video games at that point? No, it was just those two games that I played this weekend. Awesome. So what did you play on your television then, sir? So well, let's see. What should I talk about? I played Graveyard Keeper for a little bit since it is one of the games uh, that came out on Game Pass day and date. 
Uh, it is essentially Stardew Valley, but you are a dead person who uh, maintains a graveyard. Um, it looks cool, looks nice, um, but I but for me, I could tell within 15 minutes of playing, it just isn't a game for me. So that didn't last too long. <laughs> um, are you familiar with the game Hyper Universe? I am not. Okay, I didn't think so. Uh, Hyper Universe is a free-to-play game. Um, on, I, I don't know if it's just Xbox or not. I'm going to guess it's not. Um, I was originally turned on to it from uh, the actor, Orlando Jones, was posting some stuff that he got from Microsoft, and one of them was like a um, DLC for this game, Hyper Universe. And I tweeted at him. I said, what is Hyper Universe? He's like, I have no idea. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a new like a free to play like mobile game coming out. I said okay, and then I noticed it launched. Um, so I booted it up. It has like a what I would say is like a generic version of the mom from Incredibles on the cover. And so I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, if this is like a superhero theme. So I booted it up. It has this really nice uh, opening, like um, anime style opening. Uh, there is um, the voice acting is solid, so I was intrigued. Uh, it is a MOBA, and uh, don't ask me what MOBA stands for massive online battle arena or something like that. Um, but in the, in the like vein of like League of Legends or Smite, however, um, it, t- it, it changes the formula of MOBA because it turns it into a side scroller. Um, so it's like playing through a side-scrolling platformer, but with all the MOBA uh, aspects. So you still have towers, you still have minions coming after you, you still have um, like level monsters that are just sitting there that you can attack for power-ups, and you still upgrade your abilities. Um, but the characters, there's a very, like, um, like Fei Long is one of the characters, so you have nunchucks. Uh, it was like a Fei Long ripoff, like a Bruce Lee Fei Long character. Okay. Um, you have like the superhero characters, you have monsters, you have all the wacky stuff you see um, from these crazy mobile games. Uh, it was fun for a minute, um, but it really just made me realize that I'm not good at MOBAs and I don't really enjoy them. I want to, um, but I just don't enjoy them, but I think that for it's free. So anyone who's into MOBAs at all, uh, just try it because it's definitely a, a different take on the formula. And you're going like up and down levels. Like you go upstairs, the very, very top of the level is a huge dragon you can fight, like the size of the screen dragon. Um, it's unique. Everyone's character movesets are different. So um, it's definitely worth checking out. Definitely came in under the radar for me. Um, so yeah, Hyper Universe. And then I played some Star Wars Battlefront 2. So the other night I jumped in, I just did a um, Walker Assault mode. Um, I kind of had some, I kind of had a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, don't tell anyone. Um, yeah, it wasn't bad. Like it, it really scratched that itch that um, that I thought I was missing with Battlefront. Like I got, you know, swept up with all the negatives. And there's still a lot of negatives in the game, especially when it comes to content unlocking. Um, but that's just how these games work. So, like, that's just, like, a negative for me. Like, I don't feel like 
um, opening crates and getting emotes is something that's really satisfying for how much time you put into a match. Um, there's so much, so many weapons and gear, but that's on the multiplayer side. You can go play like co-op and have all these weapons unlocked, which is great. Um, but I did want to talk to you about something um, because I think we, the spoiler zone is over for Battlefront Two. Okay, so we're gonna. So you, I'm assuming we're gonna talk about the story mode. I'm just gonna talk about a small portion, but yeah, if you don't okay. want some of the a part of the story mode spoiled for you, then skip ahead two minutes because it's not gonna take long. Okay. So you get to this level. So it's after you free the ship that's that is a lockdown. You're doing the starship battle mode. Okay. So freeing, I can't remember the name of the, the Dauntless. Uh, okay. You free the Dauntless that's like locked down magnetically onto this ship, and then oh yeah yeah okay yeah. You yep, get into the story, and you're you're sent to this planet Ilio, I think. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of the story, right? You're the main character. You're up in this big spaceship, and then they're like, okay, we have to go scout out this planet for the Emperor's secret like uh, storage unit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, all of a sudden, you jump down, and like you see R2-D2. And you're like, oh, cool. And then you see Luke, and it's a pretty decent voice actor for not being Mark Hamill. And you get the story, and then all of a sudden, okay, you're Luke Skywalker. All right, I can get into this. So I'm playing as Luke for a little bit. It's interesting, you know, you can kind of tell they didn't really flesh out the heroes, like modes in the game, because there's not a lot of character to the character, if you will, like movement and things like that. Um, Right. So it feels a little hollow to me, at least. And you're going through this level as Luke, and then you meet the bad guy. And you're like, let's work together. Okay, this is weird. All right. And this guy's like, not only is Luke being like, let's work together, but this guy's like, okay, well, I guess I'm not get a Jedi after all or whatever. And you go through this really weird story and then you get put on this defense mission where you're essentially fighting off waves of Castlevania bats as Luke Skywalker. Yep. Yeah. It's horrible. Like, and they just keep coming. And yeah, like, they do. there's at one point where the, where the, the bad guy goes, uh, Four minutes until I'm like, I better not be doing this for another four minutes. I'll throw this game through the window. <laughs> so I do. The, you do the mission. You complete it. You get into it. Looks like, can I take this compass? And he's like, why would I let you take it? He's like, because I asked. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. You can have it. <laughs> and it's like, I guess we just go back to being enemies. He's like, well, no, you can do better. Join the rebellion? He's like, no, no. Don't worry about joining the rebellion. He's like, yes, you want him on the rebellion. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> so like Luke saunters away, and then they just like seamlessly cut to that dude being back <laughs> on the spaceship, standing. He's not like, I just met Luke Skywalker. What's going on? He's just like, nothing nothing unusual happened. She's like, okay, let's go to this next planet now. <laughs> You're like why it's it was so lazy <laughs> like you know the guys were like we gotta figure out a way for them to play as luke skywalker somehow <laughs> like i don't know the, i don't know the reasoning behind it i don't know what the heck happened with that have you finished the story of the campaign no i had to stop after that I needed okay a break. <laughs> yeah so i finished the campaign um and I'm, i won't spoil anything if because I don't want to, yeah, I don't know that there's much worth spoiling to be honest. 
Um, there's everything that happens in the campaign. I was like, well, I saw that coming from a mile away. Or I don't understand what's happening right now. It was one of those two things. One of those two things. And yeah, I understand we said we wanted a campaign in Star Wars Battlefront 2. Maybe we didn't. We didn't want EA to do it. Maybe we didn't want a campaign. Um, and I feel bad, right? Because, you know, when I look at, uh, and I and who am I? I always feel a little bit, I don't want to, probably imposter syndrome is the best phrase to use right now. I always feel a little bit, or maybe guilty, when I, when I criticize games that don't do things that I know I couldn't do, right? Like, I could right. never write a video game. There's no way. I don't have the skill. I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability to do that. But the people who did write this game are people who I have a lot of respect for in the fact that Mitch Dyer wrote it and Walt Williams wrote it. And I love Spec Ops The Line that Walt Williams had written before. Like, I really enjoy the work that those guys have done. But there were times the dialogue in this game made me cringe. Yeah. <laughs> that I was couldn't believe that this was where they went with it. And when you have something as transformative as spec ops the line is and then you get this game that is so rote and predictable right it is really disappointing like i can't imagine i can't imagine that free reign hands off could have written anything they wanted to that this is what they would have come up with maybe right. this is the best they could come up with with the within the constraints that they had that's very possible that sure. because of time budget whatever else this is what they could come up with and the reason that you play as luke is like well we're making him for multiplayer we gotta you know like this is what we have to work with like here are the things that we have i i don't know so i was just really a bit disappointed about the whole campaign and the thing that was really interesting i've never had this happen before this was the only game i've ever played that the resume the suspended resume like didn't work really that every time I would leave the game and then come back to resume it later, it would be so choppy, I couldn't play it. I'd have to quit out completely and restart the game. And it happened every single time I did it. So I thought that was a little bit interesting because I've never had that happen before. So I found that to be interesting. Um, but after I played the campaign, which I did get my entire way through it, and it's not very long, and there's some fun parts to it. Like there are parts from an action standpoint that are a good time. Um, so I, I'm not disappointed that i played it or anything like that but you know I, I do wish the story had been a little better and i think the very end of the story for me was a little okay but like it, I, I kind of was like i mean i guess i get why you did this but I, I don't think you needed to do this but that's cool um but then i did jump into the multiplayer played some galactic assault nice lost i think i played four maps lost all four maps really horribly <laughs> have no idea what was happening 95% of the time. Yeah. Like, I generally knew that, like, oh, we have to go defend this thing or take this thing. Like, that part I got. But where I was dying from, how I was dying, what people were doing, like, how to handle the heroes when they're on the field, how to handle the, you know, vehicles that are there. It's just one of those things that there's so much. And obviously, you know, I'm level one, two, three as I'm going through this. Playing with people who are level 78, 79, you know, like, they obviously have a few more hours into this game than I do. <laughs> I'm just not certain how things are going now. I had fun. I actually held my own. I didn't do horribly. I was typically middle of the of the scoreboards. Other than the first game, I was at the very bottom. But then after that, I was typically middle of the scoreboards to kind of get my feelings, my bearings out. But there were some really weird situations where it was like, oh, you need like two skill points and be at least like level three in assault to unlock this thing, to unlock mm -hmm. this card. 
and I'd have two skill points and be level three in assault, and I couldn't unlock it. <laughs> so I don't know what I, I'm sure it was just me being an idiot, not knowing, oh, you have to go over to this other menu and then unlock it, and then you can equip it. I don't know. Uh, but that was the only thing that I was like, well, I kind of want to keep playing this. I'm kind of having a little bit of fun. I just need to dig that in a little bit more and figure out what of all these characters and star cards and abilities and all this stuff is what I want to do. Because there's so many different characters you could be. Yeah, there's so, so many. Yeah, so overall, not super impressed with Star Wars Battlefront 2. I probably will continue to play the multiplayer a little bit. Just when I'm looking for something not as... Uh, well, you know, sometimes just when you have 20 on 20 battles, it's cool. Like, it's fun to play 20 on 20 stuff sometimes. So I probably will continue to play it a little bit. Uh, do you play this game in first person or third person? Third person. Do you play it the correct way? Nice nice to know. <laughs> well, there's, um, no, there's no point in having a Star Wars license and play first person. I know, right? Um, <laughs> so the other game, though, that I did jump into then is I had mentioned it a while ago. I jumped into Ruiner on Xbox, part of Game Pass. So I was like, hey, I like twin stick shooters a lot. This is kind of a twin stick shooter game. I'm going to jump into it. Let me tell you, this game has a um, very specific art direction it's going for. It is a, the developer is Rikon Games. I think they're somewhere Eastern Europe developed or published by Devolver. And as soon as you say Devolver, you get an idea of probably where you're going. <laughs> uh, and this fits this, like this is a Devolver game for sure. Uh, the art, is, the art direction is definitely. They are going for a feel. They are going for a vibe. The music, all of that, it fits. It is this cyberpunky, like awesome, you know, sweet, really cool. Like I could never exist in this place because I'm just not cool enough. Vibe, you know. And they go for it, and they definitely accomplish that. However, the gameplay of this game is not something that I know if I can get into. And I really enjoy twin stick shooters. I love them. They're probably one of my favorite genres of games. And I just can't get the feel for this game when I'm playing it. Because you both have melee weapons and guns. Mm -hmm. But you also have abilities. And how everything is mapped just feels weird. And you like bring up, you hit like Y to bring up a um, radial dial of abilities. That then you select and then you hit left trigger to trigger it. And just with how fast the game moves, there's so much going on on screen and like... You don't have unlimited ammo for these, you know, unlike a lot of twin stick shooters, you have unlimited ammo, but then you have to reload. And that's kind of when you're vulnerable. But this game, sometimes you just run out of ammo and you got to pick up a different, a different gun that might have a different spread or a different, you know, damage that it does or however, a different number of rounds, how fast it shoots. Like that's all totally different. So you can never get into the reason I like these games is kind of getting into that zone where you're just kind of using the music and you're in this vibe and you're just kind of going with it. You so far in what I've played with this game, that is not something that exists, and that's fine. Is is going for something different in the genre? There are long stretches between things where it's trying to tell you the story and it's telling you to kill the boss, and like things are cutting into the screen, and you have to like so you'll have these long stretches where you're not fighting any enemies, and there's like these weird kind of storytelling things going on, and then the first boss you fight, you have to kill in a certain amount of time. And the only way to get more time is by killing other enemies. And it's just, <laughs> and I don't like time things in general in games. Usually it's one of my least favorite things to be like, you have 30 seconds to get out of here. I hate that mostly because then I like panic and drown in a place that I'm like, why are you going? You're going the exact wrong direction because yeah. I'm a bad video game player, but <laughs> I'll probably play it a little bit more overall. I'm not super impressed. I'm happy. I got a chance to play it and jump into it. 
because I know there are some people who are a big fan of this game. And I think that it's, there's a certain group of people that Ruiner as a game is going to work for well. Just when I am playing twin stick shooters, I don't exactly think this is what I'm looking for. Um, but like I said, it, it strikes the art direction well. The sound is great. Like it hits some things really, really well. Just in the end, I don't think this is going to be a game that's exactly up my alley or what I'm looking to play. So that is Ruiner. And with that, that is what we have been playing. So with that, hey, let's move on to topic of the show. That sounds good, right? Sounds great to me. Awesome. Hey, so every once in a while, we like to go back and do an episode where we catch up on the news that has happened in board games and video games over like the last month or so. There's no specific, hey, here are the biggest story highlights. Hey, here are all the things that we want to we wanna cover. We just pick a few stories, and then we're going to talk about them really briefly. But the more fun part is... And I did not prep Josh with the show notes in this. It's for every game, every story I listed in our show notes, I have a specific question I want to ask about it. Mm-hmm. So Josh is going to get to pick and talk about the story that he wants to, either about board games or about video games. And then I'm going to ask him a question about it. Not specific to the thing, but a general idea of what the story is trying to address. Does that sound like fun, Josh? Sure. Sounds awesome. Great. <laughs> because I'm sure you had a chance to read every single story I said to you before we got to this. I did, actually. Oh, nice. Cool. All right. So like I said, I will let you just go ahead, pick and choose whatever stories you want, and then I'm going to ask you some questions for us to discuss. Well, let's start with um, uh, Z-Man announcing a Stone Age 10th Anniversary Edition. All right. So what about it? So what about it? Well, I'll tell you what. I was... I saw this a few days ago. I was excited. I showed it to my wife. We, we really like Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those games we want to play more. Like actively people see it and they go, oh, we should play Stone Age. Um, I like that it's going to have a dual-sided board now. And the other side is adding a winter season to the game. It's mm-hmm. also a winter specific like... Um, themes or tasks uh i don't like the price tag of 80 dollars right okay that is a lot of money for essentially i get it all these games they do big 10th anniversary collections until i see more like tickets right it is remarkably bigger the pieces are remarkably nicer mm-hmm. you see the value in that uh, all i see is a box so um at this point in time um it does say it has upgraded components but i gotta see those before i can like right now 80 dollars sounds like too much gotcha so stone age is a game that i have always wanted to play but i never have do you think getting jumping in on this 10th anniversary edition is the the way for me to go um that's a good question no okay no, I think I think it's like forty bucks for a regular Stone Age. Right, that and, sounds right. Yeah, and it's a great game. Like I don't think if you spend forty dollars on base Stone Age, I think you'd be happy. Okay. Um, even with all the new stuff for this double the price, I don't see it at that value. Um, but you know, you you might play Stone Age and it might be your favorite game, and mm-hmm. then in that situation, then yeah, it's worth it. But to jump right into it. I would hate for you to be disappointed at $80. Gotcha. So that wasn't my actual real, real question. That was just me generally wondering because I actually haven't played Stone Age, but I want to. So here's my real question. 
10th anniversary editions are kind of becoming, you mentioned a little bit, we're starting to get see more of these. You know, there is the pandemic one that's coming out that seems like it's, even though it's also coming from Z-Man, seems way more, uh, I don't want to say attention to detail, but it seems like they've treated it with maybe a little more care. Sure. And they've put more attention into what they're doing. Um, you mentioned the Ticket to Ride one. 10th anniversary editions. Do we need to see more of these that are going along the pandemic route and the Ticket to Ride route? Or do you think they should be reserved for very specific games? And if so, is Stone Age one of those games? I think if a game is strong enough to last 10 years, then yeah, I think 10 years is a good number for uh, a collector's edition or an anniversary edition. Uh, that being said, uh, if you haven't put out second edition, third edition, fourth edition games, like Fury of Dracula is getting a fourth edition release. Mm-hmm. I don't think a game like that should be getting a 10th anniversary release also. Um, or Arkham Horror, who decided to change the way the game is on their on their reprint. Like, that's that's a ballsy move to change your game in, a, right. in an addition of it, not like a separate standalone game. Right. Um, so I'm all for it for, uh, for 10th anniversary editions. What was your second question part of that? Do you think that Stone Age is a game, or like, is your line yeah. just basically, if you get to a 10th anniversary, you should get a 10th anniversary edition, or should it be reserved for very specific cornerstones? And if so, is Stone Age a cornerstone game? I think Stone Age is a cornerstone game for, for people. Um, I don't know that I'd like it better than Lords of Waterdeep, but I think it's on par with that. It's definitely the theme is, you know, obviously totally different. Um but no, I, don't, I mean, I don't think any game should automatically get a 10th anniversary edition. But for those games that, I mean, for a company, if, if Z-Man is willing to spend the money to make a 10th anniversary of every game they make, more power to them. But that doesn't mean that they're going to see profit from that. Gotcha. I can't wait till the 10th anniversary edition of Dead of Winter. <laughs> hey, that's something they could do. I know. I'd be down for it. You heard it here. You heard it here first, Plat Hat. <laughs> Awesome. All right. What's the next story you want to talk about? Let's talk about, uh, well, let's talk about something that I can talk about because I backed it on Kickstarter. Let's talk about the ancient world. Ooh. So speaking of Ryan Lockett and Megaland, uh, I did not know this was uh, a game from 2003, I believe. Um, so on Kickstarter right now, there's a game called The Ancient World. It's the second edition of Ryan Lockett's game. Uh, it caught my eye because of Ryan Lockett. Uh, that's I, I did not know it was a second edition or reprint, um, but I believe it was 2003 when the first game came out. I could be totally wrong, though. Um, it looks incredible. Uh, and the theme is, is different enough from like Above and Below and Near and Far that um, I'm totally on board with just kind of getting in and checking it out. Um, uh, there's going to be a number of limited edition boxes. Um, the boards, everything about the game. I've seen some pictures of the older game. Um, it's bigger. It's new art. And there's metal coins. Um, all the things you expect from a collector's edition or anniversary edition of a game for 50 bucks for the whole game. Uh, what is cool about it is if you own the first edition, I think it's like 18 bucks gets you all the upgraded stuff for the game, uh, which is nice of them to offer that as well. Um, yeah, and that's on Kickstarter now. It's doing well. I think there's 10 days left as of today. And I have it set to remind me 
when we get to 48 hours left. So from what I can see, actually, the, the first ancient world is quite a bit newer than that. Okay. 2014. 2014. Okay. 2014. 2014. All right. So according to Board Game Geek, at least. I missed, I missed a, a digit. <laughs> that is okay. That is okay. So here's my question, though. So this is the second edition of the Ancient mm. World. And obviously, we just talked briefly about, you know, Fear of the Dracula. Dracula's on a fourth edition, you know, Descent, second edition. Like, there's a whole bunch of games that get new editions of the game. How much has to change in a game for it to be a new edition versus a reprint from your perspective? Okay, that's a good question. So we'll use like, okay, so Sagrada's out of print. They will mm -hmm. be doing a second print run. So the obvious thing there is there's no difference in the way the game is produced. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they paid for a certain amount of games to be printed. They waited till they sold through what they had. Boom, next run. So do I think it's fair for Sagrada to call it the second edition? No, because it's a second printing, not a second edition. They're not changing anything about the game. And to be clear, are they calling it a second edition? No, they're not calling okay. it anything yet because it's think not so. even out yet. <laughs> okay. Um, but if you're calling something a second edition, I think for me... I think it means something has to change, whether it's rules changed, like Gloomhaven second edition came out because they changed some of the rules because mm -hmm. people gave them feedback on what they didn't like about the game and they decided they don't need to just reprint it. They need to do a second edition of the game. Mm -hmm. So they're changing something. So there's, a, I think the differences between a reprint and a, a new edition is changing the way and going back to the to Arkham Horror, um, that's the drastic example of an addition change. Because I don't, I don't think commonly you see a game going into a new edition, changing the whole mechanic of a game. So, right. So, in order for something to be a new edition, and I may, and I'm sure there's probably some industry guideline for this, but I have no idea what it is. So, it's more fun just to you know talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> is there? Is, does it require a rules change? Is art change enough to justify a second edition? I think so. I mean, if the designers feel like they need to change something, I don't think they need to change specific things. Like if they go, oh, okay, well, we really messed up on this art or we didn't realize what I wanted for this art, you know, um, we're going to bring on this guy. I think that that could be considered a second like edition uh, of a game. Uh, the same thing being... You could also just put out a reprint and change 15 pages of the rules if you don't want to call it the second edition because mm -hmm. you're just making the game better. I think you could decide both ways on that. I think it's really just up to marketing at that point. Excellent. What is the next news story we're going to talk about? All right. I think the big one for board games, at least, is um, the Magic the Gathering Spell Slinger Starter Kit. Mm. Um, so for people who don't know about it, um, and I don't know why it took Magic this long to do this, but essentially, instead of going into uh, a new Magic release and buying uh, a starter kit or box or whatever they would call them, where you get, like what I used to do all the time, you go and you get all these cards that can get you going. You're literally just buying um, this set, which will include everything you need to play a two-player game and learn magic. It's not just like, it's not really designed to 
get you to starting a new deck to build, which you could do uh, from this, but it's really saying these cards work great together. Here's two decks. Open this, sit down, learn the game, play the game. You're done, which I think is great. And Dice Masters just started doing the same thing. No more booster packs. You buy a Dice Master set. You get the whole set in the box. Awesome. For people who don't like to collect. Um, for people who like to collect, well, there's still sets they're releasing, but it's not going to be like that chase for rares. Um, and then you can step into full magic if you feel like it's something that you like or want to get into. This is a great entry level way to get into magic, which is what I would do if I wanted to relearn magic because I thought I haven't played magic for that long. And like two years ago, I spent 200 bucks. I bought someone's magic cards. They didn't want anymore. Mm -hmm. I just looked at them and I didn't know what the heck to do. I got so overwhelmed because everything has changed since I played magic. So now those guys, I got rid of those cards. They're gone. So now if I want to get back into magic and teach my wife, which I couldn't do with all that is now we can both sit down and learn it together and decide, is this what we want to get into or not? So I think it's great that they're doing it. So here's my question on this then. Do you think, and I'm going to use an absolute and I don't mean it as an absolute, but it's just easier. Do you think there's going to be anyone who walks into a store and says, I've never played magic before. I'm going to buy this and I'm going to find another person who's never played magic before. And we are going to sit down and we're going to learn how to play magic together. That's unlikely. I think that people going into this have someone in mind already, like a buddy to like, Hey, let's get into magic. Or, Hey, I saw this thing at the store the other day. And it's like how to play magic. Basically you want to try it. I know places still do magic events, but I do know for a fact, and this isn't a slam on magic players. It's not a very forgiving environment for new players. It's very challenging. Absolutely. Yes. You know, especially like even going to FNMs, like the, the rules, how rules are enforced at FNM are not supposed to be the same as like a GP or the pro tour. Yeah. Some places they're maybe a little heavy handed. There's a lot of alpha players who play magic mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate that, that it's like that. I mean, it could be better, but that's just a personal opinion. <laughs> no, I hear you. I, I think this is a really interesting move by wizards. I obviously, you know, back in the day played a ton of magic, not all that long ago, but long enough ago that when I watch events, of the pro tour, like I do occasionally now, I don't know. I know generally what's going on, but I definitely don't know the new cards or any of that good stuff. But it was interesting because I saw this and then I was thinking about it. And I don't think that I know anyone who learned to play magic not being taught by someone who already knows magic. Yeah, I, I, that's how I learned by someone you know, who played magic. And, and maybe it would be a situation where I would, you know, go with a friend that like if I was still playing and I would bring a friend in, I'd be like, hey, let's go have these on this. But I'll just give you it all when it's done. And I'll teach you. We'll sit down together and I'll teach you how to play using these decks. Like right. maybe that would happen, I guess. And maybe that's what they're intending for that happen with this. I just can't in my mind because of how I've learned magic and how everyone I know who plays magic learned magic. This is not something where two random people are gonna be like, we've never played this game before, but let's buy this thing to teach us. Right. But like, so when we went to PAX Unplugged, uh, my wife and I signed up for the Star Wars Destiny Learn to Play. Mm -hmm. You know, you paid 15 bucks and you each got a starter kit and you sat down and it filled up every day. So yeah. I would say 
within the course of those three days, over 60 people learned Star Wars Destiny that hadn't even played it before. Right. So and, uh, yeah, and that's awesome. It would be a good audience for people like that. I, no. Obviously, it's not majority. Absolutely. I think I still think it's a cool thing. I just wonder. I do wonder, and I'm sure they have the numbers. They, I'm sure they know their marketing departments and everything. No, I just do wonder how many people learn magic from not someone who already knows magic. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with you so, on that. Awesome. All right. Next story, sir. And like I said, you can go wherever you want. Yeah, I am. I'm going to go to the big story of the week. Microsoft reveals a new way to get an Xbox One console, Xbox Live Gold, and Xbox Game Pass by bundling it together. Uh, so it's called the Xbox All Access. Uh, you can only get it through Microsoft Store currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to sign a two-year agreement, and that is through their Dell accounting. You're basically through, getting a Dell credit card. It's like a Dell credit card. Uh, there's no no APR until after your thing is over, and then if you use it, there is. Um, they don't mention penalties for missed um, um, there payments. Are pen- I think there are penalties. At an, if you have an outstanding balance at the end, which you obviously would if you miss a payment. Right. Unless you make um, it up somehow. Yes. So uh, math-wise, you can do it with the Xbox One S or the X. Uh, in my opinion, so the easiest thing to do is compare it to a phone deal. Because like to get the X, it's $34.99 a month. Yep. Um, and I'm talking to my coworkers at work who are interested in Xs. Uh, they're fans of the idea. So mm-hmm. the biggest difference between that and the phone deal is when you do the phone lease, you're paying a lot more over the life of that lease than you would if you bought the phone outright. Mm-hmm. And with this deal, it's actually 10 bucks less, at least for the X deal. I didn't look up the S. Yeah, the S deal is actually quite a bit better of a deal. You're saving like between on everything, I think over $100. So even so that's great. And, but even with the X, saving even saving just ten dollars is still a great deal for people who can get approved and can't afford to just spend a thousand dollars outright right but i know a lot of people are losing their stuff about it um and that's fine like our discord is particularly hot on the topic um and I don't know how much of that is the inherent Microsoft bias or not, because I just don't know why this can't be a thing. Right. It's not hurting anybody. You shouldn't be assuming people can't get credit who can't afford to buy an Xbox outright, because that's just a terrible thing to say about someone. Uh, some people have good credit, but they just can't afford to drop $1,000 on a console. Correct. Talk to their wives. Like... Talk or their, their husbands. Husband. They could be female gamers. I, I wasn't done yet. <laughs> um, you know, talk to their significant others. Like $34.99 a month is way more feasible mm-hmm. to bite off of instead of making that giant jump. I got a Target card just to get a 4K TV because it was more affordable for me to do that. And it builds credit. And I'm sure this will build credit too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with a program like this, there will be situations where it doesn't go well but they're giving you an opportunity no one has to sign up for this you can get an xbox the good old-fashioned way mm-hmm. you can go to gamestop and trade stuff in you can do whatever you want um i just think i don't know why we have to see this as a negative thing in my opinion it's just 
Microsoft trying to sell consoles. Right. I always go to, I get a little, I, I don't think this is a negative thing. I do think I always get a little uh, worried just in credit in general, because I think we throw credit around as a very, um, we think it kind of solves a lot of problems. And I think about, you know, myself in college at yeah. 18, who was like, I really want an Xbox One X. I don't have a lot of debt because I'm 18, so I can get approved for 800 bucks, but I'm also 18 and I might be, me, I wasn't super smart. Right. You know, I might miss a payment here or pay late or do whatever. And suddenly very quickly, you go from a very manageable situation if you were on top of your life to not a great situation if you're not on top of your life. Like maybe I was at 18, you know, <laughs> that you're still paying for years later. So that's more of like what my concerns go, go in with this of like, yes, people are going to say, well, that's personal responsibility, right? But if you're 18 or 19 or 20, I don't even necessarily think about the family. I think about those 18, 19, 20 year olds who are in college who want an Xbox like their friends do so they can play with them and do those things that maybe haven't had, you know, a situation where they had a family who talked about how credit works and, and how you have to make payments and why it's important and the long-term impacts you can have on this. Like same thing happens with school loans, like right? Like obviously that's a lot more drastic, but here, here's $20,000. Right. You'll have to pay that back later, but here you go. You're 18, here's 20K, no big deal. So that's where actually my concern more comes in is those situations. Those people uh, though, they're going to go to Best Buy and they're going to get a 24% APR and still get an Xbox One X. Right. You know, yeah. And, yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like, so for me, it's more of just that general feeling of these situations make me feel a little uneasy because I know those things happen. And yes, you could say that's a personal responsibility thing. Sure, it definitely is. But I know that there's going to be someone, someone somewhere who probably wouldn't have been in this situation, but now is going to be because this is an option. Oh, yeah. Look at my credit report. I hear you. I did the you same know, thing when I was 18. I had right. a Sears card. I had a Best Buy card. Right. Um, yeah. So my concern isn't the, you know, a lot of our, you know, where we tend to, to, to lean towards an older audience, you know, or a more like adult, if you would, like we've have jobs and kids and all those things, audience, but my concern, because especially since I work with college students, like that's where my concern comes in is, yeah. is that generation more. Um, but overall, like, I think this is a thing that can definitely exist. And I think there are a lot of people who are going to use it and use it fine. And it's not going to be a big deal. It's another way to just get an Xbox. And I think it's just Microsoft diversifying things, you know? So like I said, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I do think, you know, that overall, I think the vast majority of people who will probably take advantage of this is going to go fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're right, because if it didn't go fine, they could have gone to Best Buy or wherever and gotten a you know, a credit card from that company and bought the thing too. You know, it's just one more way that that can happen. So yeah, yeah not a huge deal to me. I think it's just, kind of, I think it's kind of cool that it's a bundle though. They just get it all. And realistically, if you didn't want to, you wouldn't have to buy another game. Yeah, that's really smart. No. I think like we talk about them, like people wanting them to bundle Game Pass with live anyways, like this is all of it together. Right, absolutely. All right, we're going to do only, even though I have so many more stories, we're going to do one more story and then we'll go to our listener question and then we'll call it a night. So last okay. one. Well, do you want to do the, okay, I was going to do, all right, let's do the Miyamoto one, because I think that's, when I was reading it, it really, I, I saw myself thinking he nailed, he nailed it. Um, and of course, as I open this, the video starts playing. Um, <laughs> so Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, we all know who he is. If you don't know who he is, he created Mario, Donkey Kong, Zelda, Star Fox. 
Um, he made a comment um, warning his peers in the gaming industry to not be greedy by veering away from the free-to-play model. So when I first saw the story, I didn't really know what to think about, uh, like why he would say that, um, but it kind of makes total sense. So he's talking about this obsession with microtransactions that's going on right mm -hmm. now and people becoming greedy. Um, I think ultimately not putting content in their games because they know that they can slow leak content out and people will keep paying and paying and paying. I was shocked to find out today that the Fortnite season six is like two weeks away. Like that's another, for the people who aren't like having earning like enough V-Bucks to pay for the next season, mm -hmm. like that's another like 10 bucks someone has to pay to play with all the new content. Um, obviously we saw what happened with EA um, and how that, you know, everything they went through. And now there's rumors about Smash Brothers having to buy Amiibos to unlock characters and and all these games that lock con like characters behind like Paladins and all these mobile games where you, ha you have the option to buy characters or some characters you can only unlock with currency that you can't earn in the game. Um, so that's so he also mentioned specifically that's why they try charging for like Mario Run it was like ten bucks and no deal, like nothing to purchase afterwards. Um, so I think it, for someone like me and Mario to come out and say that, like he really needs to. He's not the type of person to specifically like. I wouldn't say he's going after anybody, but to draw attention to other creators in an industry that has really just been like. Today in our Discord, in the general chat, you would see two people going back and forth on Destiny, mm -hmm. two for hours yeah. about, like, in Destiny 2, you got to pay $80 for this new expansion that came out. That's a lot of money for a game that, to, for, it was 100 bucks to get the first full game. Right. Now it's another $80. And, like, I hear, I see both sides, the argument on not enough content and, and enough content, because... It's not going to click for everybody. Some people will think it's worth it, some won't. Um, so, yeah, uh, one of quotes, his quotes was, it's necessary for developers to learn to get along with subscription-style services. Uh, when seeking a partner for this, it's important to find someone who understands the value of your software. The customers will feel the value in your apps and software and develop a habit of paying money for them. So I think that's very smart. Do you have any thoughts on Miyamoto? So here's my question for you. And I don't know. I know this might be controversial with our Nintendo fans. Oh, so Miyamoto <laughs> comes out and says, hey, stop being greedy. Let's spend $60 to buy Skyrim on Switch. Mm -hmm. When I oh, bought yeah. Skyrim on PS4 for like 12 bucks. But how much do you think he has to say about that price over Bethesda? No, I know. I know. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? Because he's I like, hey, we're looking at free-to-play games and all this stuff. And I'm one person who, on the record of, I think that free-to-play, that games that are on, you know, mobile, there should be a price to them. Like, I am fine with paying, like, $5, 10 $15 for a mobile game if they're not going to charge me for stuff later and they're going to give me all the content. Like, I think that's a good thing. I agree with him about that. 
but I just found it very odd right. that, you know, we joke regularly about the Switch tax and if that's actually a thing or not. And now here's Nintendo coming out and saying, hey, yo, I know we've charged you, you know, every generation for the same game on virtual console, yeah. but don't be greedy developers. Don't be greedy. Yeah. Well, you know, they, like it just seems a little yeah. odd. If they put out like Super Mario Sunshine port and it's 60 bucks, I totally agree with you on that. Well, because wasn't the Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze game more expensive yeah. on Switch than it was on Wii U? You know what? You're absolutely right. So it's a little hypocritical. <laughs> you know, like, and I get it's a totally different model and I, I get games cost money to make. Like, I'm not arguing that. It just seems a little odd that Nintendo is the one coming out and saying, hey, don't be greedy, but it's almost because they're like, we're, we don't do that business. And how much money have they made off of Fire Emblem Fates yeah. on mobile? You know, That's like true. that game's killing. So anyway, I just You're think right. it's very interesting that Nintendo is the one coming out to say this. That's very true. And you know what? I wasn't even thinking about Fire Emblem because you to- you totally have to buy to stay up to date yeah. with the characters. Right. So interesting. Yeah. Good, anyway. good call out. And right. Exactly. I shouldn't say that. It's Miyamoto coming out and saying it. It's not Nintendo. It's not a statement Nintendo released. It's Miyamoto very specifically saying, hey, sure. here's how I feel about this. I should not put that then on the rest of the company because this could just be him who has enough pull to go and say something like that even if nintendo's like hey we're making a lot of money don't say that you know yeah. like it's fine it's true yeah, yeah i don't I, I don't not agree with him i mean i i agree with him but yeah all right sir hey that was fun maybe we'll talk about some of these other stories another time um mm-hmm. i think just briefly it should be mentioned that obviously we didn't talk about the events that happened in jacksonville uh, Josh and I talked about it beforehand. I don't think we, either one of us, feel like we have anything profound enough to add to the situation and to what other people have already said. So we recognize that it might be weird for us to talk about the big news of the in games and not acknowledge that that terrible tragedy happened. I just don't think either one of us have enough to say that hasn't already been said to address that in any meaningful way. Right. We don't want to waste your time shoveling. I don't want to say thoughts and prayers, but the equivalent of like we've covered our thoughts on the topic before. Yes, we did a whole episode about violence. It's terrible that it happened. Um, Yeah, we just hope that security measures are put in place for future events. It stinks that they have to do that, but we need to have our gamers safe. And if that's how it has to be, then let's make everyone safe. Absolutely. All right. What, What question do we have this week, sir? Okay, well, at Dumpalicious, we know him as Schplig, sends in a coded question. You didn't see this, but it looked like the note you would see from a serial killer uh, at a crime scene. Okay. Um, And I'll tell you what what it's all about. So Schplig asks, what's your favorite social deduction game? I haven't been able to play many uh, with just my wife and kids, but really tempted to get one. Um, So... For me, I'm a fan of social deduction games, even though my wife hates them. Secret Hitler is a very good game, uh, despite having an unfortunate title with what's going on nowadays. Um, Spyfall, very good. Um, But I still think my favorite um, is Resistance or Avalon, depending on uh, the mood of the players. I have played another game, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but it has kings and queens and jesters and and that name is escaping me but that's also a very fun game as well and i wish i could remember it um but each each character in that game has like a special ability 
and you blindly pass some, you can like pass cards around and people try to guess your identity. Um, and I'm bummed I can't think of the name. Do you have any favorite social detections? uh, Is that game that you're thinking of like Masquerade or something? It's Masquerade, thank you. Okay, thank you. I was like, I feel like that's the one you're talking about. That's one I really want to play that I haven't had a chance to yet. It's very good, it's very fun. Yeah, I really want to play that. Um, For me, I'm a big fan of social deduction games, but like you, I don't get to play them very often. Uh, One of the ones that I really, I do, I think the one that gets played the most is definitely The Resistance, and I still enjoy The Resistance a lot. I think it is a good, fun time. I think that Shadows Over Camelot is really good. It's one that requires three players, like most of these do. Um, that, yeah, I just don't get to the table probably as often because, again, just the wife and I aren't going to play it. But I really do enjoy Shadows Over Camelot. Um, like I said, Masquerade's on the short list of one that I would want to do. Um, and then the only other one that I know it's not actually a social deduction game, but it has a piece of social deduction in it. You know, that a winner, right? You can have a traitor in there. So trying to deduce whether or not you have a traitor, I think is great. Um, and then obviously, I mean, I don't mind Werewolf. I think Werewolf is an easy one that a lot of people are familiar with. So that's pretty good. But yeah, I think definitely the go-to play the most still for me is definitely the resistance. Nice. Uh, and Splig's hidden message uh, was Hail Hydra. Spelled out out in his question with capital letters, uh, which which is on the top of my list of games to get next. Um, I'm just itching to go trade some games in the GameStop so I don't break my no buying games rule. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Hail Hydra looks incredible. It's getting stellar reviews um, and it is a social deduction game. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, thanks for the question, Splig. We appreciate it as always. Josh, we've been going for quite a long time. Why don't we say we uh, call it a night and wrap this show up? Sounds good. I've literally soaked through my shirt, so it's (laughs) going to be nice to jump in the shower. Uh, Thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, Remember, you can find us on social media at Bold with VG uh, on all the things. Uh, Use that hashtag. Hashtag board with VG. Also, if you want to be so bold as some of our listeners, like Paul and Schplig, just put at board with VG in your in your posts that mention uh, game publishers because we love the recognition. <laughs> uh, so yeah, feel free to do that. Uh, Facebook.com slash board with VG and the ever wanting fan fiction email board with VG at gmail.com. Um, yeah, for plugs, I'm just going to say, um, well, we'll, I can say it now because I know it's happening. Uh, we have been blessed with being called social media influencers by Yellow, the board game company, which is, I think, just probably something they send to everybody. It's <laughs> flattering nonetheless. Um, Kyle and I will be getting some board games from Yellow soon. Uh, so we are going to figure out how we're going to do this, but we'll be reviewing proper um, some yellow games hopefully soon and getting some stuff on the BSVG blog. Uh, So I'm very excited about it. And it's just another step forward for us uh, doing hopefully what all you guys love to listen to. Uh, We had a new listener jump into the discord. So uh, please feel free to join. um, I think it's Kaiju guy. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I'm a fan of the name immediately, so it got my attention. So Kaiju guy jumped into Discord, uh, said he's been a listener for a while, 
we talk about a lot of awesome stuff in there. So if you guys want to jump into that Discord, you can find the link on psvg.blog um, and jump in the board game section and have some talks with us. Because a lot of times it's just Kyle and I sharing cool new info coming out in board games. It is. Uh, Josh and I talk a lot to each other in there. <laughs> So that'll be my plugs for the day. I'll skip over the generic stuff. Kyle, where can people find you? Awesome. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As a reminder, we have the Metafall contest going on. So hit up psvg.blog. Look at our pinned tweet at um, Board with VG on Twitter or listen to episode 46 for all the rules. You could win a free video game that's releasing this fall. Entries are due September 7th. We already have some entries that have rolled in. I'd encourage you to continue to think about, no, don't think about uh, sending your email. Send your email to boardwithvg at gmail.com with the 10 games. Um, again, hit at psvg.blog to find all the rules to make sure you're sending in your Metacritic scores for the proper 10 games. So you'll get one more reminder next week. And your reminder next week will be after the Spider-Man reviews are out. So you'll know at least how <laughs> Spider-Man scored. So, because those come out a week from the, today when we're recording. But as always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We really do truly appreciate it. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.